Good morning, and welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Sean Anderson. Coming up on this week's show, an interview with the CEO of Students Against Destructive Decisions, Rick Burke. We learn how SAD tries to help teens make the best decisions in their lives. Welcome into Score Values. I'm Sean Anderson, and today we are talking to the CEO of SAD, Students Against Destructive Decisions, Rick Burt. Rick, how are you? I'm great, Sean. Thanks for having me with you today. And I like the way you started. Happy Wednesday. When I first uh, when when I first called you on the phone, uh, you seem like an upbeat person, which is perfect for a uh, organization named Sad. I think people think <laughs> of it uh, immediately because of the name. Uh, you know, it, it's something depressing. But you guys have a great mission, and I, I want you to uh, to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Students Against Destructive Decisions. Folks might remember us from the 1980s as Students Against Driving Drunk. We were started in the suburbs of Boston after a community experienced the tragic loss of several students in separate alcohol-related crashes. And the students at the high school realized that if they were going to change the tide of this deadly epidemic, they needed to be part of the solution. So they started the first chapter, and over the years, we've grown to a national network of about 7,500 chapters in all 50 states and the territories. But as we said, Sean, we're now students against destructive decisions because we've heard from our students that they're facing so many different issues, much more than just impaired driving, which is obviously still a critical issue. But now we talk about everything from all of the issues of mobility, safety, to seatbelt usage and distracted driving, issues like substance abuse. So we talk about vaping and tobacco education. In personal health and safety, we tackle mental health, suicide, depression, and leadership development because we believe that young people can be the leaders of today not the leaders of tomorrow. And when you talk about these destructive decisions, what's the one that has been reoccurring the most in, in 2020 and 2021 as people are shifting to this new normal? Yeah, right. It's, it's the word pivot, right, that we're all sick of at this point. And as we've all pivoted, we've certainly seen the depression on the rise. Teens are isolated. We all are missing those connection moments, those opportunities to be with friends and family, particularly young people who have been robbed of special moments like prom, graduation, those special moments of high school and college. So we certainly have seen teen suicides uh, rise. We've seen underage drinking and substance use rise. So we're trying to get the message out to teens and parents and adult allies that they play a critical role in helping their teens establish social norms, establish boundaries, and understand what's safe and not safe. So there's a, a lot of things we can talk about in that space, but certainly a lot of things connected to COVID, which have impacted all of us. And yeah, when you say safe or not safe decisions, how do you define that? What, what would be a safe decision? What would be a not safe decision? I think it's really thinking about the consequences of that choice, right? How does it impact you? Could it endanger your personal health and safety? Could it endanger someone else? Could it have a long lasting consequence that could limit your decisions and your opportunities as a young person? And so oftentimes when we think about teens, they don't think about the long-term consequences. Uh, you know, the brain is literally developing up until the age of 25. And so teens make risky decisions. The adrenaline mixed with hormones, the excitement of moments and the desire to fit in, they combine to create a deadly cocktail for young people, resulting in a lot of times injury and harm that's 100% preventable. So that's how we define a destructive decision. And now that that social element has been taking it out a little bit, I, I, it has to go somewhere. So how have you seen social pressures change with school not being in session for, for most states and, and, and people not being yeah. around their friends for you know largely a year now? Right. There's still a large presence that teens have online, whether that be TikTok or Snapchat, or Instagram, whatever platform they're using, there certainly are connections happening in that virtual space. So we have seen also an uptick in cyberbullying, 
uh, and other risky behaviors that are happening online, teens sharing uh, dangerous information and, and really just being unwise in how they conduct their online activities. So what we try to do in those situations is, again, create positive norms around what's acceptable behavior. Uh, we talk a lot about digital dependency, which is a, a buzzword I think we've all heard now, where we're glued to our phones, we're glued to our, our Zoom accounts, we're on, we're on electronics for the vast majority of the day. Our brains are not designed to handle that much intake of electronics. So we're trying to get people to also unplug, to find healthy avenues to uh, disconnect, to go off and go out into nature, to read a book, to hang out with family in a safe way, to monitor um, you know, social guidelines and recommendations from the CDC and being together, obviously, when safe and appropriate. But there's lots of things we can do that aren't tech-related, and all of those things are helping to improve our mental health in a period when mental wellness could not be more important. This is Score Values. We are talking to Rick Burt, the CEO of SAD. And Rick, I, I, not only has uh, the, the online presence changed, but it's also grown stronger. And I, I was doing some research on you, and I saw that you were part of a local SAD uh, affiliate when you were uh, a little younger yeah. uh, in Ohio, and then you moved on, but then ended up coming back to SAD. Um, how have you seen in, in your start with SAD all the way up to now to rise to CEO, um, how that online presence has changed? You know, we, we, when I was growing up, we certainly had technology. We certainly had some social media. But now we are constantly bombarded with information. We live in an era where our cell phones, our smartphones, uh, our tablets, our home devices, they're constantly pushing information out to us. And while there are many benefits to that, there are also some downfalls, particularly as it relates to mental wellness, where we're constantly in information overdrive. So it creates a, a, a system in our brains where endorphins are produced when we're sending and receiving information. That's why social media is quite literally addicting. We live for those notifications, those likes, those shares. And so I think that's been one of the biggest changes I've seen is just the constant flow of information that's happened even within the last couple decades, where now we are constantly connected as a community. And so, you know, there again, there are benefits to that, but there are also downfalls for students where if they're receiving bullying at school, guess what? Now that bullying can haunt them all the way home on their cell phone, on various platforms. There's lots of ways that, that young people are, are dealing with this new era of technology and an era that's constantly changing. So again, we try to provide resources to teens and parents to help them understand what these devices are, to help them understand how to, uh, as one of our programs is called Text Less and Live More, focusing more on, on the living more part of that and trying to escape some of this information overload so that we can get back to a place of uh, some sort of balance in our lives. Has that been one of the one of the biggest things? Yeah, is that something that you hear a lot from students that, that they don't, you know, that they need to be living more, that they, they need to be glued less to their phones? Yeah, I think there's certainly a movement to that, and I think the pandemic has, has helped push that along because, again, teens are, whether they're in virtual or hybrids or even in person, there's certainly are more reliance on technology in the classroom. And so we certainly are hearing that more and more, that young people do want uh, an escape, if you will. And, you know, I, I think we've all felt, Sean, some of that depression just of, of the times that we're in, especially now that we're indoors, the days are cold. Uh, I know across the country we've been bombarded with winter uh, these last few weeks. So it's really easy to get kind of bogged down in the monotony of COVID life. Uh, and to find, try to find some way to unplug the switch and get out, get out and do something else is so, so, so important. Whether that's establishing a new family transition, picking up a new hobby, we have a full list of uh, options and resources on our website 
uh, also encouraging a lot of volunteerism. We, we have seen remarkably an, up, an uptick in virtual volunteerism and have virtual volunteerism activities that we offer our chapters. And so that's been great to see teens kind of turn some adversity into some action to give back to their communities in a really, really meaningful way. And that's a perfect segue because I wanted to ask, what, what is your website and how is SAD kind of adjusted to this COVID life? So what are you guys doing more, obviously, that you can't have people in schools right now or yeah. know, for some cases? Absolutely. It's uh, kind of a paradox, right, where I just talked about how we need to get off of our, our uh, digital platforms more. But at the same time, we've been finding more connection for students in those platforms where we're hosting events that are fun. We've been doing uh, a number of virtual Zooms for our chapters to meet and uh, meet at the state level. So still, at least there's some form of connection activity, and it's being done in a safe and balanced way where teens are, uh, again, living the no-use lifestyle, but doing it in a way that still connects them with people who share their values and their interests. So that's been one way we've been doing that. I just talked about volunteering. That's been another huge strategy for us. We, there's great science to support the endorphin, again, belief that when we do something for someone else, we, get, we do gain a sense of positivity and there are positive hormones that are released in our body. So helping teens establish some of those, those traits and some of those habits of giving back is important. So we've seen students writing letters to their local first responders, uh, baking cookies and dropping them off at nursing homes, whatever it might be, just ways to give back has been so important. We've also been finding new ways to connect with parents who are, you know, I think all a little bit at the end of their ropes of uh, what do they do now that they, they've been stuck at home with their teens for a year and there's, there's no end in sight of, uh, of virtual learning, et cetera, et cetera. So we've been trying to provide more resources to parents to do virtual check-ins with their kids or uh, as we've called them, regulating social media access, technology access, having meaningful conversations at the dinner table, which I know sounds old school, but could not be more important now as we're all dealing with the stress and anxiety of COVID in new ways. So those are a few of the things that we've done to try to really pivot what we do out of the school setting and into the home setting where we uh, are all finding ourselves right now. That is the voice of Rick Burt, the CEO of SAD. I'm Sean Anderson. You're listening to Score Values here on 670 The Score. Uh, Rick, you talk about how you're trying to reach out to parents, too. And, and you mentioned some you know, kids currently on, are on TikTok um, and, mm-hmm. and Snapchat and where parents are mostly on Facebook. How have you guys been yeah. able to adapt to that social media where you have two different audiences that you're trying to speak to and trying to cater to different messages? Yeah, it's a, that's the branding question of the century, Sean. You know, we've, we've really tried to pivot our platforms to fit the audiences where they are. So if you go to our, uh, I'll give a shameless push for our, all of our social media channels, which are Sad Nation on all of your favorite platforms, you'll find that we're reaching, we're talking about parental-based content uh, online. We're doing a special segment uh, in the days ahead talking about the stress of sending your kids off to college and how do you do that in a virtual world? And more importantly, how do you pay for it And what does that look like with the stress and anxiety and mental health uh, elements that come around that? So trying to be really parent-centric on Facebook and understanding that Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, those are much more of a youth-based platform. So if you go on those platforms, you'll see that they're far more youth-friendly. They're places where youth can connect uh, and engage in in our content. Uh, Our contests, scholarships, programs, activities are all based there. And, uh, you know, uh, Twitter is a little bit of both where we've got uh, a little bit of both audiences coming together in short snippets. So we're trying to be very sensitive to understand the, the, beha- the behaviors and habits of our audiences and really tailor our content to fit where people are. And I think most parents probably struggle with trying to connect to their teens. And obviously it's, it's tough yeah. to give, um, you know, broad 
tap tips or, or generalization because every kid's different. But mm-hmm. h- how do you, how do you think parents right now struggle, or where do you think parents struggle the most in reaching with their kids or connecting with their kids? Yeah, you know it's interesting. I, I've talked with parents coast to coast, and what I've continued to hear again and again is, "Hey, my kid is growing independent. They don't want me around." Well, that's not totally true. It's kind of those "do as I say, do as I, don't do as I do" kind of things, where they're sending one message verbally, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. Again and again, we have seen that teens admit that parents and other caring adults in their lives are the number one influencer in helping them establish perceptions and behaviors and determining what's right and wrong. What are, what are our beliefs on alcohol, on using drugs, on being safe behind the wheel, on how we handle anxiety and stress? So my simple message to parents are that in the exact moment when you feel like your teen is trying to pull away, that's when they need you the most. Ask those questions about how their days are. Don't just, don't just start with how was school and end the conversation there. Dig in a little deeper. Ask them some probing questions about, hey, what's something you did nice for someone else today? Uh, what's one thing you're looking forward to tomorrow? Asking a little bit of a different question can really produce a different response. And number one, remind teens that you care, uh, that sometimes that there are consequences for behaviors, but it's again, it's rooted in love and rooted in a desire to keep everyone safe. And when you have those conversations, even as early as middle school, uh, we have found tremendous success in reducing behaviors that are putting young people at risk. We have all of these resources on our website, www.sad.org, parental conversation starters, resources for how to engage in these conversations, tips on how to, on how to talk about COVID, how to handle you know, the election and, uh, and the political divides that teens are seeing in our society, all those topics and more on our websites under the Engaging Parents section. And I, I think that one was uh, that, that that stood out the most was uh, engaging in political conversations, because I, I know as a teen and I, that was probably about six years ago now um, that the last thing I wanted to talk about with my mom was politics or my dad was politics. Yeah. Um, how have you seen that change in, in teens and how have parents been dealing with that effect and that, and that change with you know teens being more involved in, in, in political right. discussions? Yeah, I think two things have happened, Sean. Number one, I think we have, be- again, as I said a moment ago, we've become inundated with information. I don't know about you, but I didn't think I could ever be able to escape this last election cycle. You turn on the TV, the radio, you scroll through your news feed, uh, you talk to your friends and your family. Everyone was inundated with political commentary and everyone had their own thoughts. Combine that with the fact that, again, social media has never been more prevalent in our society and it creates a platform for everyone to be a political commentator. And it's easy to see why there's so much noise around this political, particularly this last political cycle and, and that divide moving forward. And when we surveyed young people, they told us, hey, wow, the world looks really dark and really scary. Now, some of that is just, again, because this is the first time for many of them that they've been, uh, that they'll remember a presidential election. They'll remember a significant um, point in our history like this. So what we advise parents to do is, again, talk about their own voting experiences, talking about how they've seen politics change from their own perspective. You don't have to get into issues. You don't have to get into political parties. But talk about those themes so that teens can see, hey, you know what? Our country has been divided before, and we've come together in these pivotal moments. Hey, this is a little bit of a different, obviously, election cycle, particularly because of COVID, but there's hope on the horizon. Again, those conversations and setting boundaries, setting expectations are so important for parents to be engaged in and to talk with their students about because it builds trust. It builds accountability. It builds some responsiveness. And also, you know, humanizes the situation. So that way it's, it's not just this abstract thing that's happening in Washington, D.C. or our state capitals, but it's something that my parents, my, the caring adults in my life, if I'm a teen, 
uh, really care about, and it shows another way that they care about me. You're listening to Score Values here on 670 The Score. That is the voice of Rick Burt, the CEO of SAD, Students Against Destructive Decisions. I'm Sean Anderson. Rick, um, you, you mentioned Washington, D.C., and something I noticed in researching SAD, um, or obviously started as Students Against Drunk Driving and now Students Against uh, Destructive Decisions. Um, you guys were founded in 1981, and then even back to at, around 1985 was the first time you guys uh, were invited to the White House. And I've seen that connection yeah. really stay strong over the years. Um, how has the federal government helped your organization and, and, and what is their what does that relationship help you you grow? Yeah, we moved to Washington DC about four years ago because we think it's so important that we are involved in national discussions, national debates on the issues that are in fact in fact in in, in uh, being involved in the health and safety of young people. And so uh, yeah, we've worked with every presidential administration since the nineteen eighties because we don't think this is a Republican issue or a Democratic issue. We don't think it's a partisan issue. We think that it's an issue of making sure that our young people feel empowered, that they feel engaged, that they're active citizens in our communities, and that they're doing good. They have access to the resources they need to help themselves and their friends stay safe. So we work with um, the agencies, obviously, that cover those areas, from Health and Human Services and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration there, to the Department of Transportation and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the National Institutes of Health. A, A bunch of federal agencies collaborate with us on the prevention side, and then also work with us on doing research, work with us on getting the message out, whether that's the National Transportation Safety Board and helping us think about how we can prevent car crashes and harm to young people, or uh, whether it be the National Institutes on Drug Abuse when we celebrate National Drug and Alcohol Facts Week. Certainly, uh, the federal government plays a major role, but also states. Again, we're lucky to have thousands of chapters all across the country in all 50 states. So we've worked with governors and first spouses. We've worked with uh, state legislatures and certainly state agencies to really help elevate our message and get our young people involved. Because as I said, I think at the end of, at the beginning of our interview, Sean, we don't think that young people are the leaders of tomorrow, as they're so often referenced. They're actually the leaders of today. Yeah, and I, I was thinking just the way you talk, you're a very positive person. And I, I, I think now I'm seeing that there probably could be a positive side to the social media talk that we've been having. And you see, yeah. you know, in unfortunate situations, these young people rise up. And I think immediately of Parkland and the way that those mm-hmm. students rose up uh, and, yeah. and use social media and their voices. Um, do you and, and also when I was in school, I think in-person bullying went down a little bit. Do you think that with help with your organization's bullying could be something that could be at least curbed a lot? Because I think that there is, especially in young people, a lot of kindness. There, there, there is so much goodness and so much kindness. And, and like you said, Sean, especially in young people, I, again, I think especially right now, it's really hard to see that sometimes because we're all stuck in our one-bedroom apartments and we're stuck in our homes and we're not seeing the outside world, we're not seeing the sun, all, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, we, we totally think that bullying can be eliminated in our time. It's gotten a little more challenging with social media because it's added an, an element of an, an, an anonymity. I can never can say that right, but it, it makes it more anonymous in that I can sit behind my keyboard and create a fake Instagram and I can harass you, I can tease you, and no one else may ever know that that's happening. So it's really important that young people speak up and they get the help that they need, the support that they need, and we, we provide resources for that as well. But it's even more important that when you have a friend or someone who's in your inner circle that's going through that, that you're there to support them, that you're a good friend, that you're engaged. You show them kindness and support because that's really what we all need, especially now more than ever. So I do think you're right. There is a a lot that we can do with social media to be positive, a lot that can be used to address a number of issues in our society. And certainly we're advocating for that each and every day. 
Yeah, and, and I mentioned that your positivity, and I want to learn a little bit more about your connection to SAD. Um, I mentioned that you started there, you left, and then you, you've come back. Um, what is it about SAD's mission that gets you so inspired and, and, and so positive about, you know, coming and talking to me like this? Or I even heard yeah. that you were in Washington recently to, to talk at the White House. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's really sad as I've traveled the country Every community knows what it's like to lose a young person, whether that's to a drug overdose, a car crash, to suicide. Everyone knows what that pain is. And I think if you talk to pretty most adults, they'll remember that person that they lost from their class. They'll remember that situation. And it's really sad to me that most of these situations are totally preventable. When there are so many things in our society, cancer and uh, epidemics and pandemics, and there's so much drama and, and heartache around us that isn't preventable, why would we not put our resources in helping young people stop something that is preventable? And when I, when I was in SAD, I found my own you know, power to do that. Uh, we had a classmate that tragically was killed in a, in a car crash, and I found the same thing to be true personally, where when Nick lost his life, uh, our whole community was impacted. And still to this day, when I go back to Ohio, I see his parents, I still see emptiness in their soul. You can still see that pain in their eyes. When my friends get together, we still talk about how we miss Nick. And so if there's something that I can do, if there's something our organization can do, and more importantly, there's something that the, that the hundreds of thousands of sad kids can do to make that moment not happen for someone, then that's well served. That's a good day's work if we can work together to make that happen, that we can keep young people safe and keep the tobacco out of their hands, drugs out of their systems, make them feel valued and encouraged in a time when the world does seem very bleak. I think that's a pretty good way to spend uh, my professional time. So that's where I continue to find the power of SAD personally and professionally. Absolutely. And I think you're doing great work. A couple more minutes here with uh, Rick Burt, CEO of SAD, uh, here on Score Values on 670 The Score. Uh, Rick, you mentioned tobacco use. You you mentioned drug use. um, And Mm -hmm. and obviously, uh, this this organization will always be connected to uh, drunk driving. How Mm -hmm. is the dangers of driving changed with with texting and, and people having their phones. Um, do you, do you, has that been more of an issue than drunk driving, uh, texting, and, and people getting into those type of accidents? Yeah, so it's interesting, Sean. When you look at the data, we've, we've done a good job as a collective trying to drive down car crashes in general and, and certainly fatalities on our roadways. The last few years, we've actually seen an uptick, so we're losing some ground. But still, about a third of the people who lose their lives on the roadways, and again, every year it's about 40,000 people in total of all ages that lose their lives, still about a third of those are alcohol or drug related. And with states legalizing marijuana, with other issues that are associated with the the opioid pandemic and epidemic, there, there are lots of mixed messages that teens are receiving. And there's lots of questions that are happening in our society. So uh, combine, combine that with the fact that Our cars have never been more distracting. I mean, every time I get in my car, I'm amazed by the bells and whistles that come with it, right? You can, in some models, you can actually order a Starbucks coffee from your (laughs) dashboard. So you combine the the inherent dangers of impairment that are certainly a a temptation to young people with now the the in-car technology, the handheld technology, the old antage of you're trying to fit more people in a car and, and, and horseplay inside the car. It's, uh, it's, it's all a lot. It's a lot. And so it's no wonder that car crashes still to this day remain the leading cause of death for young people. So that's why we work with organizations like State Farm. We work with the National Road Safety Foundation to promote resources, tactics, community engagement that can really drive home this issue. And so 
Um, you know, I think there's, there's again, particularly in this area, room to get that number to zero. People have said, well, Rick, that's ambitious. And I said, well, yeah, okay, that's true. But which family member shouldn't be saved then? Which one of those lives, which one of those families should still experience that heartbreak? And that's when people kind of change their tune and realize that it's not just a grand number. It's each one of us, every time we get inside the car, saying that that text message is not worth it. It's not worth it to ever drive impaired, to call a, a ride share or to call a friend for for teens to call a parent there are lots of options that we have in 2021 so there really is no excuse for us to be losing almost 5,000 young people on our roadways each year when the technology and the uh the you know the quote-unquote vaccine to solve that pandemic already exists yeah and and it's it's a lofty goal but no one will be mad if you achieved it um exactly and and exactly i want to ask one one thing too before we wrap this up uh you mentioned uh states legalizing marijuana illinois was just one that did that in 2020 how have you noticed that enter teens lives because obviously you mentioned smoking and vaping earlier that's connected to marijuana as well um how has marijuana now uh entered the uh change and decisions for students yeah when it comes to marijuana it's young people are receiving mixed messages they're hearing that it's uh, a medicine they're hearing that it's natural they're hearing that it's green all of these misconceptions and they fail to understand the effect that it has on our bodies and the thc levels that are uh, at play here uh, parents are just as confused you know i've had parents say well yeah you know I, I remember marijuana from when i was in high school what's the big deal they fail to understand that the marijuana of today has been genetically modified to have thc levels that are 10 times plus the marijuana of the 1980s. So you're having students consume this in edible formats, in a vape, um, smoking it. And each one of those, the way the THC is digested, changes the impact that it has on your ability to make decisions, your cognitive ability, your reaction time. And young people don't understand that context, especially when you mix it and have what we call a polysubstance issue. This is an issue where you're using two substances, like alcohol and marijuana together which is pretty common, especially in teens. There just isn't a deep understanding of the science and biology behind what's happening. And they fail to realize that there are portions of the country that are receiving these messages from multi-billion dollar corporations that are uh, exacerbating this problem, especially trying to reach young people. So what we do is make sure that teens understand the facts, certainly that there are state policies, safe measures and, and guidance in place to help make sure that no one under the age of 21 is consuming this product because we know how important brain development is. And there's certainly, there still is research out there on the long-term impact that early consumption can have. And to make sure that teens and parents are educated, that they know the, the, the risk factors and that they're making safe decisions and making sure that everyone around them is safe too. That is the CEO of Sad Students Against Destructive Decisions, Rick Burke. Rick, I want to uh, let you get one more plug in uh, here. So uh, why don't you plug your yeah. website and uh, social media? You get, you got it. Uh, go to Sad Nation on your favorite social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Snapchat. We're on all the platforms, Sad Nation. And then also head to our website, www.sadsadb.org. Rick, thank you so much for your time. You do great work. Hey, thanks, Sean, for having me. Always a pleasure. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of our show, or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. That's scorevalues670 at gmail.com. I'm Sean Anderson, and thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score.